First, Kay. Ryan serves as the vice president of nurture and development for the CNMA. Blah 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 blah. Yep. blah. You served in the local church 18 years as a student pastor at First Alliance Church in Calgary, yep. uh, teaching pastor there, uh, and then also at Westlife Church in Calgary as a senior pastor. So you might look young. Thank you. I really appreciate that, Tim. <laughs> but you have a lot of uh, experience you, yeah. in ministry. Either that or you started at like age 12. I was 10. Yeah. All right. I believe you have a 19, 16-year-old and a 13-year-old. It's true. Excellent. So all teenagers. That's pretty fun. For one year. One for year of one year a house of teenagers. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, thank you for joining us. You serve in the national office, and we're really glad to have you here today. Hugh, I'm going to ask you a question. All right. If all right. your house burnt down and your kids... And your wife was safe. What possession would you try to save from add, add the dog, and then I'll get to the and the dog okay. as well. And if Buster was saved, then yes, I would. I would go into my garage, and I know why you're asking this because you know I have this. Uh, I have a little classic Alfa Romeo Spider convertible that was an absolute gift uh, a number of years ago from an extended, extended family member, if that makes sense. And uh, yes, I do have a nice little classic car that I would let everything else burn and get that out. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Excellent. So let me pray for you, and then we'll just launch into that. All right. Father, thank you for Ryan, and thank you for who he is in Christ. Thank you for his leadership, just raising up leaders in the CNMA for your glory. And Holy Spirit, come. Let the words he speaks just point us to you, that we may see what you are doing in the world and partner with uh, your calling for us as individuals and us as a community. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Take us away, brother. Thank you, Tim. Really good to be here, everybody. Uh, this is a church that I do have a few memories of. So I did pastor out west in Calgary for almost 20 years and went to school, obviously, at CBC, CTS, now Ambrose. Uh, but I grew up in Milton. My family was a part of planting Milton Alliance Church. It's called something else now. But uh, this parking lot out here, I don't remember your church very much, but the parking lot is where all the churches in the GTA, we would gather to go to like blitz brains and busted bodies, different retreats up north kind of thing. So as a kid, I would come and I'd see your parking lot. So that's my memory of your church. No, nothing, really? Okay. I'm going to begin this morning by actually taking you to a different text than what I'm going to preach. So you can kind of think of this as the opening prayer. Okay, I don't want you to turn there. I'm not preaching out of this text. I just want you to listen to how Jesus is described in this text, okay? It's out of Colossians chapter 1. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son whom he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So now here is the supremacy of Christ. These are the divinely inspired words of God. Not my opinion, Here's who Jesus is. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. Whoa. Think about that. 
God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in his Son. And through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now you have been reconciled. You are reconciled by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Wow, right? What an amazing picture of Jesus. That's not my impression of Jesus. It's not my opinion of Jesus. Those are the words of the scriptures, the holy scriptures, that have transcended every culture, every civilization, every popular move of culture, trend in culture. No, that is who Jesus actually is. And if you're in this room this morning and you have some relationship with Christ... And maybe you are in the investigation, you're just figuring it out, you're really early on. Others of you, you've been on this journey a long time. You're in the room because at some point, somebody told you about that Jesus. Maybe it was a mom, a dad, friend, colleague, co-worker. Somebody introduced you to that Jesus. Now, there's a couple of things. Before we go to, to the book of Acts, really cool piece of scripture we're going to look at today. There are a couple of things that we got to hold in tension. One, we live in a day, in an age, in a city, in a culture where most of my friends don't know that Jesus. They don't. So, so what Jesus have they heard of? Who has given them that impression, bias, understanding, prejudice, whatever it may be? They may even have a really good impression of the name Jesus or the person of Jesus, but it's all those Christians Mm, all that judgment. So that's one thing you've got to hold in tension. The second is, according to Scatter Global, really cool organization that we and the Alliance are starting to partner with, there are still 2.8 billion people around the world today that have never actually heard the name of Jesus. Have no impression, no understanding, no chance to have bias or prejudice towards Christians or Jesus. They'd never heard it. I was in a meeting a couple of weeks ago with a gal who was 19 years old before she ever heard the name Jesus. Just the name, Jesus. 2.8 billion people. So you're kind of getting the impression that during our time together today, we're going to talk a little bit about the kind of coming together of both here and there, of understanding Jesus and bringing the gospel into the context that you find yourself in today, here and the there, because the, those, those lines are so blurred today, aren't they? They really are. It used to be there was what we did here, and then there was what we did over there, and that is not the case. And I hope that all of us in the room, you have a clear understanding that that person of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is not a Western gospel. That is not for us here today or for only us to reach people who come here. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ for all cultures, for all people, for everyone. He's for everyone. And all of us have a part in whether or not that actually happens, the bringing of that gospel. And so let's talk about crossing culture for a second, right? So crossing culture, it used to be that crossing culture meant you had to go over there to cross culture. Crossing borders. 
I'm still often in the room with many different denominational leaders and sending organizational leaders who don't like the conversation I'm having with you right now because the whole idea of crossing culture meant you had to go somewhere else. You, look at this room. You just have to cross the room to cross culture, don't you? And I'm not just talking Euro-Canadian to uh, Asian or African or whatever it may be. We are, are all in environments where it can be one culture that's not a dominant culture crossing culture to another culture. It can be an Asian crossing, crossing to a Syrian culture. I mean, crossing culture is so blended and immersed in just part of how we live our lives today in the unique, beautiful city of Toronto. And just know that's not how it is all over the world. The room that I'm looking at today is not what I look at when I'm in different countries all over the world. We have a very unique gift. So there's certain things that we're learning and understanding and experiencing because just part of how we live here that we actually have some resource and some skill and some abilities to help shape the church in the global church as it is emer emerging around the world. So crossing culture, you bet it's changing. But what I want to do now is I want to take you to the moment in scripture where the gospel of Jesus Christ crossed culture for the very first time. And most of you think you know where I'm going to take you, but you might be wrong. Okay. So before I take you there, you can, you can turn and you can put the screen up there. Don't read ahead when the text goes up, okay? Just ignore it. Just go to the text in your Bibles and go to the next screen. Maybe. Here we go. So let me set this, the, uh, the, the text up, okay? That's Acts chapter 11. So the early church is launched. Acts chapter 2, right? You got the day of Pentecost. Thousands have gathered on the southern steps of the temple. Right? Day of Pentecost, Peter's up there, he's preaching away, he's giving it, everything he's got in there. And then the amazing happens, the, the, the heaven and earth collides moment of the tongues of fire, they descend, right? And there's all kinds of debate on what happened. Most scholars believe that what happened, and I believe this, is that the tongues of fire that descended enabled Peter and all the apostles to begin to speak in the language of all those who were gathered in that moment so that they can understand. That's why the thousands were added to their number that day and baptized in that moment. But what's often not understood is that the people that were gathered on those southern steps, who were they? Were they from every tribe and tongue all over the world? No. Who were they? Who goes to celebrate Pentecost? Jews. Think about this. What had happened during the exile, during the disbursement, is that Jews were scattered all through the different countries in the region. And as you are scattered, it doesn't take you very long to adopt the language of the country that you've been scattered to. My mom immigrated from Holland, okay? I'm a Dutch immigrant kid. That's what I am. I can't speak a lick of Dutch. For some reason, my mom did not pass on Dutch to my brother and I. Whenever I tell this story, someone's always going to come up to me afterwards and try and speak Dutch. I can't speak it. I don't know it. <laughs> Seriously. I don't. I have no idea why she didn't do it. I'm only one generation removed from being in Holland. Right? That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. You have people that were Jews who had gathered to celebrate Pentecost that had come from all the different nations that they'd been dispersed to, exiled to, and they're coming together to celebrate Pentecost on Temple Mount. They don't all speak Jewish. Many of them speak the, the languages that they've been dispersed to. And the tongues of fire descend and the church is launched. Now what's crazy is that people think, and at that point, the gospel started crossing culture and the, they were going to the ends of the earth. They were doing what Jesus was asking them to do. And the answer is no, it's not true at all. 
In fact, if you keep working your way through uh, the first part of the book of Acts, you come to there was this, this persecution that broke out. And as a result of it, in chapters 8 and 9, Stephen becomes the first martyr. And it's through that, perse- that persecution that there's a scattering that takes place. Okay? And that brings us to the text that we're looking at today. In Acts chapter 11, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution, that's what I was just talking to you about. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word. What does it say? Read it. Only amongst the Jews still. The gospel still has not crossed culture, which has always been in the heart of God. I hear, I, great that you're, you're going to have Kairos offered here. You will learn that the gospel, that, that God's heart for the nations has always been, it has always been his intent to love the nations, all the nations, all the people, peoples of the world. But even there, so the persecution has happened, the scattering has happened, Stephen's been killed, they start spreading out, but they're still only talking to Jews. And then the world changes forever. Verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them because he wanted it to happen. And great numbers of people believed and turned to the Lord. Folks, this is a defining moment in history. And we don't even know their names, do we? Right? We always talk about Paul and Barnabas. We always talk about the different apostles. We don't even know their names. You are in the room right now because of those dudes and gals. And we don't even know who they are. But they finally did what God had always intended. They always actually followed what Jesus said when he said, I want you to go to all the peoples. Not just Jerusalem or Judea and Samaria. I want you to go to the ends of the earth with this gospel. It happened in that moment, and you're in the room right now because of that reality. Folks, taking the gospel across cultures to the margins of society, to all peoples, that is the DNA of this church, the family of churches that you're a part of. That has always been the history of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. You may have lost that. You may have forgotten that. You may have been confused by that. Let me clarify it. This is what we do. If you're a part of this community, this is what we do. In fact, that's the foundation of the guy that started it all, A.B. Simpson. Here's a quote from him. He said, we're an alliance of Christian worldwide missionary, sorry, we're an alliance of Christians for worldwide missionary work. I think that's the next screen if you want to go to it. It is to hold up Jesus in fullness, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's to lead God's hungry children to know their full inheritance and privilege and blessing for spirit, soul, and body. It is to encourage and incite the people of God. Listen to this line now. Okay, ready? It is to encourage and incite the people of God to do the neglected work of our age and time among the unchurched classes at home and abroad. He, He said that over 100 years ago. The neglected work of our time. And here we are still today, and we know all too well that statement is still true today. Folks, the alliance was birthed out of a a pastor that was frustrated with institutional churches, frustrated with Christians that wanted to huddle up, protect, stay together. we got to be safe. 
I mean, I'm not just making that up. That is literally how the alliance was started, by a guy who said, no more. I'm out. I can't do that. I'm going to be with the people that actually need the gospel, that actually need to discover the Jesus that I read to you in Colossians chapter 1. So, You've been a part of a movement, and we have been a part of a movement across Canada in which, you know, now we've got 500 congregations that are meeting together right now all across our country. You're a part of a worldwide association called the Alliance World Fellowship that has uh, churches in 47 different nations, millions of people. It's really cool. So let's take a look at the growth. We've talked a little bit about here. Let's talk a little bit about there. Let's take a look at the growth of the global church. Uh, This church has a history, a deep, deep history of being a part of some of the early sending that led to what's called the golden age of missions. Kind of from from 1960 to 1990s is where that shift started to happen, where we started to move from places where you could actually go share the gospel and establish and build the physical church and multiply and disciple Pretty cool things happened, actually. I was in a, uh, at a conference down in uh, Nashville with our national discipleship team, okay, about two, three months ago. And I don't like conferences that much. I've got to be very honest with you. I'm always kind of like, oh, you're going to share your great how-to, and we're all going to try and follow it, and nothing's going to work, and we're going to be frustrated. Anyways, um, so I went to a breakout seminar, and it was insanely boring. And so I was like, this is totally American. This is not going to work in my country. Forget it. So I walked out, and I, and I went back to the main gathering sanctuary. And there was some old guy. I'm not being ageist. He was quite gray. I'm getting old. I'm not gray. But he was a little bit more gray than I am. And, uh, and he was, there was a big crowd of people that were, he was in the main sanctuary. There was a couple thousand people in there listening to this guy. And he was talking about some stuff and throwing some statistics up on the screen. And you can go to the next screen. And, and I leaned over, to, uh, I, I leaned over to, to a gal that was sitting beside me, and I said, who is that? And this gal leans over, and she's like, you don't know who that is? <laughs> I was like, no, I don't know who it is. I still don't know who it is, but he had some really good, she never told me. So I honestly, I don't know who, he, who it was. But he had some great um, information. And, and the reason I'm showing this to you is because you've been a part of this, Okay. The Christian and Missionary Alliance played a huge role, more than you may realize, a huge role in the growth of the global church, particularly in Africa and Latin America. We were a huge part of this. Check this out. In 1900, there were 9 million Christians in Africa. By 2000, you don't think the sending of international workers has had an impact? Check that out. 335 million. From 9 million to 335 million in Africa. 37 times as many. Most of the growth occurring since the 1960s. What was that? The golden age of missions, right? In 1900, there were 50,000 Protestants in Latin America. Today, there are 64 million. That is phenomenal growth. Between 1970 and 2010, the number of Christians in Asia grew from 101 million to 351 million. Amazing. This is really cool. In China, it has been estimated that 10,000 people per day come to Christ. 10,000 a day. By 2030, now this assumes that that, that that will continue. There's no reason to believe it won't, but it might not. But if what's currently happening in China continues on to 2030, China will have more Christians than any other nation on earth. You didn't know that, did you? That's crazy, isn't it? It's pretty phenomenal pretty phenomenal. 
Now, that predominantly is in nations where during the golden age of missions, we could go, didn't matter what tribe or tongue you were from, you could go, you could share the gospel openly, you could pastor, you could get a religious visa, you could go and build the physical church. The transition we're facing today is we are now focused on places where few or none have had access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in those countries, you can't do that. So there are changes coming in how we send. It doesn't mean we're not going to send. It means there may be some changes coming in how we send. Well, what about here? What about some of the challenges or changes that are happening here in the North American context? Stanley John, good friend, phenomenal thinker. He is, a, he is an Indian. He's from, his parents are from India. He was born in Kuwait, got educated in the States, and he's now the professor of missiology at Alliance Theological Seminary in New York. This guy, he's a, just a world Christian. You know what I mean? Like He has experienced the, the, the bride of Christ all over the world. He's been studying some megatrends. So if you want to go to the next screen, he's been studying some megatrends that have been shaping and impacting that the Western church particularly needs to pay attention to. Here's one of them. The first is the collapse of Christendom. The Western world can no longer be characterized as Christian, either in society or culture, in either its dominant ethos or its worldview. 21st century missions must be reconceptualized on new assumptions. Some of you may not like to read that. But what that is basically saying is you need to come to an understanding that the culture that you are nurturing your kids, grandkids, you are living your life in today, it at one time was traditionally seen as a Christian society. That is not true today. My kids are going to high school. I've got one that's actually over in Germany at, uh, at Cape and Ray this year. But my kids are going to high schools in which they're learning and being cultivated in a completely different environment than I did. 30, 40 years ago. Okay? So that affects how we disciple these, kind of, these kids. So that's the first megatrend that we need to understand. Second, go to the next screen, is the collapse of the West to the rest paradigm. Western Christians have been slow to grasp the full implications of the simultaneous emergence of the post-Christian West and, the post and a post-Western Christianity. What that one is basically saying is you are wrong if you're in the room thinking the West to the rest still exists and that we've got it all figured out and we can take it all and show everybody how to do it. That's wrong. And again, traditional sending organizations don't like that stuff. Doesn't mean it's not true. I showed you earlier on some st statistics that you've got to pay attention to. The global church is far larger than the Western church. The global church is far larger than the Western church. Let's give them the voice they deserve. And if part of the, uh, the, the role we can play is to resource that, then let's, then let's resource it. Let's resource it. That means who's in leadership? Who has the microphone? Who's in positions of influence? It's got to change. It's got a role. Well, I'm going to change gears a little bit. I want to tell you a story of an experience I had this last year because it's a coming together of everything that I'm talking about. And as I share the story, I want you to say or think, can I, can I find myself in this story? Do I have a part that I might be able to play in this? I said to you a few minutes ago, how we send, who we send, and where we send is changing. How we do ministry, what our churches look like here is changing. And it's not bad. It's a good thing. 
this last year I was in Senegal with one of our, uh, one of our new teams that we've recently launched and has been forming over in, in, uh, in West Africa. I was there because one of the organizations that I give leadership to is called Envision Canada. It's all about raising up the next generation of leaders. And I was in Senegal to lay the foundation for a pilot project we're doing called the Global Semester. It's a cohort-based 12-week, uh, I think it is, 12-week learning experience where you go in a cohort of, of interns together to go live in one of our regions, working with our teams there, learning language, learning how to inter interact with culture and all that kind of stuff. Really, really cool model. And the first one launches... Uh, in a couple of months in Senegal. So this is back when we were laying the foundation for it. And so when I was there, we were being introduced to this new team that was emerging of Canadians. I've got to set it up before I tell you the story. Canadians, Latin Americans. Remember I showed you that, that, that picture or the, the graph of the growth of the Latin American church? The Latin American church is not just a receiver of international workers. It is now a sending. It is becoming a sending machine of international workers to other regions around the world. And so there's Latin Americans. Our European arm called uh, Zending, it has people there. Our Americans, brothers and sisters, they're there. The African church, it's there. It's really cool. It's a coming together of all the tribes and tongues working together to reach these different tribes, the Fulani, uh, the Tuareg, and different people groups in Senegal on one of those days. And this story is going to push you a little bit. Perfect. No point in preaching if it doesn't push you, right? We went to a clinic that is now being staffed by all of our team. There was a, a, a doctor. She is from our team from Holland, okay? There's a nurse. She's from our team from the States. Another nurse. She's from our team from Canada. Another, uh, um, what they call a chaplain for this clinic. He's from the States, Okay. This clinic was launched by the Mercy Ships back in uh, the 1960s, and it was kind of forgotten about. And just through a number of events, our team was kind of put in there, and it's brought it back to life. And this place is now just humming. We go down there. The people are lined up out th through the waiting room, out the door, onto the street to get into this clinic. Okay? And so as we're there, I'm going to call him John. Uh, John kind of greeted us. He's the, uh, the parish uh, um, chaplain. Think about this. The doctor, who's the head doctor of this clinic, who's from uh, uh, Poland, she was wise enough to go, you know, a lot of the things that are coming in here, they're not just physical needs, they're spiritual needs. So we should get one of our team members to become a, a parish uh, chaplain who actually prays over some of these people and they can go and meet with this individual. These people have never heard the gospel. They are far from God. They're into sorcery. They're into witchcraft. They're into a different, like Islam is the dominant um, uh, religion. That has also been forced upon them in that country. And so we're, we're there and it's the day that John is going to, he wants us to go and pray over his new office. He's just gotten this office, okay? And so we go in there and we talk to him and he's telling us about what happens and, and we pray over it. And then after that, we get a sense of tour. Of, they take us on a tour of the clinic, and we get a little bit of the lay of the land of what they do. And then they take us to one of their kind of meeting rooms that they can do different procedures in, but we're going to have lunch there. And they pull out this big pot called Jumbo Jai. It was awful, everybody. It was terrible. I'm just letting you know. I'm not great with the exotic foods. That was a moment that was not good. Anyways, we had to share it all together. It had a big fish head in the middle, and I was like, Jesus, help me through this. So I don't want to offend anybody got through it as we're sitting and eating. The nurse, who's from the States, turns to who is her husband, John, and says, John, you got to tell, these aren't their names, I'm 
changed their names. You got to tell Ryan the story of Ahmed. And I was like, yeah, tell me the story. He goes, yeah, no problem. I'll tell you the story, but you got to promise to tell this story when you go back to our churches. Tell this story. I said, sure, I'll tell the story. Let me hear it. So he begins to talk, tell me the story of Ahmed. One day, this fellow, I'm calling him Ahmed, he comes into the clinic because he's heard through the reputation. He's heard about this clinic. He comes in and uh, the doctor, who's the head doctor, there's three doctors there, but the head doctor notices this guy Ahmed, there's something not quite right. He's scratching at his arms. He's scratching away and he's scratching at his torso and he's scratching at his ears and his arms are oozing from wounds that are just oozing fluid and he's got wounds all over his ears and he's scratching at them and he's oozing fluid out of his ears and they didn't realize until later that he had these open sores all over his body that he kept scratching that were just oozing fluid. But what really caught her attention is that he kept kind of twitching and talking to himself. But it was like he was having a conversation with somebody. And so being a follower of Christ and understanding that not every need is a physical need and understanding some of what they're dealing with is spiritual, she says, you know, can you go to the nurse and says, let's, let's just pull this guy out of the line and let's put him in one of the exam rooms and why don't you go, go get John and we'll go and, and meet with this young man and, and chat with him. So they do and they go put him into a room and they, they go get John and the three of them go into this observation room or this exam room and they begin talking and as they begin talking, Ahmed begins sharing a little bit of his story. Turns out Ahmed was a, what's called a fetisher. And a fetisher is something different than what you associate that word with here in North America. A fetisher is somebody who casts spells on individuals from a distance. And so these people have no idea that that's happening. And as Ahmed is telling his story, he's talking about how he is hired by the gendarmes, the police. He's hired by the government to go and cast spells on people. And at first, he was just doing it as a job, but over time, things began, something began to take him over. And now he had this relationship with what he called his teacher. Now, I'm, I, I don't want to read the room. I don't really actually care where everybody is at on the whole idea of demon possession, oppression, blah, blah, blah. The dude had something going on, okay? And so, realizing they were up against a spiritual battle, they left the room and they called in a few more of our team together. Uh, that were off doing different things. They called them all to the clinic and they called a, another fellow who was, he's the first Senegalese uh, pastor who is nationally Senegalese. He's with the, uh, the Pentecostal assemblies. And they all came together because they were going to pray over this, this fellow who was obviously had some issues. So they all gather together. They pray together. They go into the room. He's still there. He's still scratching away. And, and so, so John begins to share the gospel with Ahmed. And as he's sharing the gospel, Ahmed starts manifesting and shaking. And like his whole body was beginning to elevate. They're getting really concerned. Everybody's starting to pray harder and louder. And all of a sudden, Ahmed passes out. Completely passes out. And they all kind of, you know, not knowing what to do, kind of got quiet and John says, what, 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 do we, what do we do? And that Senegalese pastor, he said, oh, this happens all the time. When light encounters darkness, when, when, when the, the, the darkness that has overcome an individual actually for the first time encounters the light of Jesus Christ, their physical bodies are overwhelmed and they pass out. He said, don't worry, he'll wake up in five minutes. Five minutes goes by and guess what happened? He woke up. And when he woke up, the first words out of his mouth were, where's my teacher? 
And our team said, what are you talking about? You came in here by yourself. He said, no, no, I came in here with my teacher, the one who gives me instructions, the one who tells me what spells to cast. He's gone. He's not there. They share the gospel in completeness with Ahmed. He gives his life to Christ. I'm fast forwarding here. Ahmed has had a real rough road since then. His wife has left him because of his faith. But Ahmed is committed to seeing the church rise in Senegal. Now, cool story. Here's the twist. Ahmed never walks into that clinic. If a young girl in Holland doesn't go to med school to become a doctor, and while at med school falls in love with a businessman who she has no idea is about to receive a call to serve internationally and leaves business and goes and gets his degree at a seminary in, uh, in Europe, and then she, still kind of going, but I'm a doctor, follows him to West Africa, thinking, what am I going to do there? And she gets connected into a clinic and turns that place around. The story continues. There's a young gal in Pennsylvania who goes to nursing school and becomes a nurse and falls in love with a guy who's always wanted to be an international worker. And they go together and they serve over in West Africa and she gets connected to a clinic where she has the ability to spot an individual who's obviously got some spiritual oppression in their life. That story goes on and on and on of individuals who never thought they would find themselves in that room, but they did because their lives were surrendered to their king. Here's what I want you to understand. The future of sending, the future of where we will go, we need people with professional skills. We need people who have gone to university and can build buildings and can do law and can practice medicine and dentistry. Do you know what the number one skill needed around the world today is? It's trades. The emerging world, the developing world is being built by migration. And many of those migrants do not have skills. And there is need all over the world for people that know how to metal weld who know carpentry, who know electricity, who understand plumbing. The greatest needs around the world today are skilled trades. Bet you never thought that. The future of sending is the majority, not the minority. So here's what I'm asking you. Could you find yourself in a story like that? Could you? Oh, and by the way, Age doesn't matter in this story. Oh, I'm too old, I can't go. Wrong. I'm too young, I can't go. Wrong. This is where I'm leaving you, folks. Can you find yourself in that story? Because this is who we are. And this is what we do. I think we're going to come to the communion table right now. And as we do, I hope you come with some real cool questions in your heart and in your mind. But as we come, remember, this is about the Jesus. All of this is about the Jesus that I read to you in Colossians 1. Tim.